Welcome to the Life Tree Community Church Podcast. These are recorded during our weekly services in Robbinsville, New Jersey. Our prayer is that these messages help you grow in your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, I just want to introduce Carrie to you. Carrie is going to come and share. She's going to continue our series on the wonder of heaven. When we were preparing this series, we kind of map out each week and which one we're going to do. And she just had some insights to this message. And I go, uh... You're going to have to preach this one. It was just so obvious that this was so part of who she is. Um, Carrie is just an incredible, incredible person. I'm really grateful uh, for her uh, just willingness to come and and serve and and share. Would you please welcome Carrie as she comes to preach this morning? It's green. Oh, now. What I said was I better have something good to say. After dancing and all that stuff. Would you turn with me this morning to Revelation chapter 4? It's page 951 in the Bibles in your pews, if you'd like to use one of those. Revelation chapter 4. This morning we're going to kind of um, crack open a little window into heaven. And we're going to see what worship looks like in heaven. So if you'd look at that, Revelation chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1. Oh, and it's up there. That's so fancy. I love that. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven, and someone sitting on it. That someone is Jesus. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow, Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they kept on saying, and would you say this part with me? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was, no, the one who always was, who is, And who is still to come? Verse 9. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, and would you say this with me also, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And they exist because you created what you please. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you. Oh, that we get to look at heaven this morning and the hope that heaven is for us. And I pray, Lord, that simply the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to look at worship specifically as it takes place within the setting of a Sunday morning or a church service. There are a million ways you can talk about worship. We know that worship is our lifestyle. We know that we worship in our giving. We worship when we do a good job on our 
in our employment. There's a, a million things about worship you can talk about. There's personal worship. But this morning we're specifically going to look at this text in Revelation. And we're going to see what this text shows us about worship as a church, in a, in a community, in this setting on Sunday mornings. So I want you to take a look at that with me, how, how we experience worship when we gather together. As you can see from this passage, heaven is kind of mysterious. Some things about heaven are kind of a little weird. I think things that have wings that are covered with eyes inside and out, that's a little strange. I don't understand all that. I don't understand everything about heaven. And I don't think we can grasp everything about heaven. There's so much about it that we won't know here on earth. We, we don't have all the answers for everything about heaven. There is one thing we know for sure that happens in heaven. The verse we looked at said it happens day and night, all the time. It never stops, and that's worship. Worship is going on in heaven all the time. It never stops. And so this morning, we're going to, as we've looked at heaven these past few weeks, we're going to look at worship because it's happening in heaven. In fact, it ne- yeah, it never stops. But the Lord's Prayer, Psalm 23, some, or so many of us are familiar with that. And part of that says, on earth as it is in heaven, right? We say that. We know to quote that. And one of the things that happens in heaven that we can do here on earth is worship. We get that privilege. The definition or the origin of the word worship is actually worth-ship. W-O-R-T-H, ship. It's assigning worth or value to something. When you worship something, you give it value. You give it importance in your life. And so that's what we're doing when we worship. And this morning, I think... We've already experienced wonderful worship, but I'm going to challenge us at the end to go back into worship just one more song, one more time, because we're going to hear about what's happening in heaven, and I believe it will stir your heart to want to worship even more, to want to give God more worth this morning. So at the very end, we're going to do that one more time. But let's look at four things in this text that we see are taking place in heaven. In the text, Revelation chapter 4, we see that heaven is by, that worship, I'm sorry, is by invitation. By invitation. We're being invited into worship. In verse chapter 1, it says, come up here. I want to show you some things. It's really cool because worship is by invitation only, but the great news is that we're all invited. We're being invited to come up and see what's going on. We're being invited into this place that's so mysterious and we don't really understand it all. But yet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the creator of heaven and earth, is saying, come here for a minute. I want to show you some things that are going on. One time I was invited to go to someone's vacation home. And I'd never been there before. And I didn't know much about the area. I'd never been to that area before. I didn't know anything about it. But I was given this invitation and I got to go to a place that wasn't mine. I didn't own it. I didn't pay for it. I'd never experienced it before. And honestly, I'm a little bit of a control freak. I'm getting old. And the older I get, the more I like to know exactly what's going to happen, exactly how it's going to affect me, exactly what it's going to look like and sound like and taste like and smell like, what's required of me, what do I need to bring, all these kinds of things. And I didn't have all that information. I just had an invitation. I just had something extended to me that said, come, come here. And that's what worship is like. We're being invited into the presence of the king. When we worship, we're coming into God's presence. That's what we see in heaven. Come up here. I want to show you some things. And that's what we're being invited into. We're being invited to experience what's going on in heaven here on earth. Last week, Pastor Dan talked about rest and that we can experience some of that rest here on earth. We also can experience 
what's happening in heaven through worship here on earth. And see, when I got invited to go to this house, this is the interesting thing. I've been invited to people's homes, but they say, you've got to take your shoes off. You can't use this. You can't do that. This you're not allowed to touch. Don't let your kids go near my collectibles. Have you ever been to somebody's home that has certain rules and you have to be kind of careful and you feel a little tiny bit uncomfortable because you're not sure what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do? But this home was, no, come. Come here. Use everything we have. Anything that's in this place you have access to. There's no rules. There's no things you have to do a certain way. Just come. Not only that, but the person who owned the home had lived there a long time, and they said, and guess what? If the neighbors have something you want to use, go ahead and use that too. We all know each other. It's cool. No problem. Use their stuff too. We're being invited by the King of Kings, by the God who created the universe, to come into his presence, and there aren't rules about how you have to look or what you have to do or don't touch this or don't touch that. It's just come. It's just come. And guess what? We're all invited. It's invitation only, but we're all invited. We all get to experience this, and we don't have to wait until we get to heaven to experience worship like we see here in Revelation chapter 4. We get to do it today. Right now, we did it this morning. Heaven is full of worship, and we get to experience it. We get to respond to this invitation. I love Pastor Dan says this all the time. It's a get to, not a have to. We don't have to worship. We get to worship. And what happens there, I don't know if we can calibrate it or understand it or calculate it here on earth. There's a man named Darren Whitehead who recently wrote a book called Holy Roar. And this is a quote from his book. He says, music or worship is more powerful than we can even understand. It can soften our hearts. It can soothe our troubled souls. It opens a door to the spiritual world. That's what we see here in this passage. And it paves the road for the Spirit's coming. We're being invited into a place that's powerful and soothing, and, and can soften our hearts. That's what worship is. Come up here. Come up here. That's what the voice from heaven said in this passage. I have things I want to show you, and worship is a way that I can show you those things. We get to experience heaven in part. Just a taste. Worship has changed my life. There, I've had experiences in worship that have colored the whole rest of who I am, who I've become, and I still have those experiences. And that's the invitation here in Revelation 4. We're being invited to come up and to experience what's going on in God's presence. Worship is continually going on in heaven, and we get to join in. One day, I heard someone talking about this, and we read in this passage the holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come. The, this verse, I don't know if you caught it, but it says that that phrase is being sung constantly in heaven before the throne of God. So just imagine with me that any time we sing those words, any time we sing that old hymn, holy, 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 we're joining in with the worship service that's already happening in heaven in that moment. We don't have to know if we have the right words to say. The Bible gives us some perfect words to say when we worship. And in that moment, you're joining a heavenly chorus. You're part of the angels and the creatures and all the things that have weird eyes and wings and I don't know what they all are. But we get to join with them and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come. That's why I wanted us to read it together because in that moment, we joined in with exactly what's going on in heaven. We can get a lot of things wrong in life. We can mess up really big. Some of us had weeks this week that kind of stunk, but you can take just a moment. 
and join in with heaven and accept the invitation and join in with that chorus that says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and you'll know you're getting it perfectly right in that instance. We get to join in with heaven. We're being invited. Martin Luther said that next to the word of God, the noble art of music or worship is the greatest treasure in the world. Beautiful music is the art of the prophets that can calm the agitations of the soul. Has your soul been agitated this week? You're invited into the place of worship to be soothed. It's one of the most magnificent and delightful presents that God has given us. God's given us a gift in the invitation that we see in Revelation chapter 4 to come into his presence as we worship him. We're being given a gift. It's a present from him. It's an invitation. Martin Luther, however many hundreds of years ago, knew it, and we know it today. Is your soul agitated? Here's an invitation. Are you invited to the vacation house, but you're not sure? Because what if the pillows aren't just right? And and what if something's uncomfortable or you don't like it? Just accept the invitation and see what happens. Because if you don't accept the invitation, you'll just never know. That vacation house was beautiful and in a wonderful spot. And it it was soothing to my soul. But if I'd been concerned about the things I didn't know about it, I would have missed out if I hadn't accepted. So I wonder this morning if you'd be willing to accept the invitation into worship, into what we see in Revelation chapter 4. Are you willing to accept the invitation? Everybody's invited. Worship also happens within the context of community. We are Life Tree Community Church, and we see next in Revelation chapter 4 that worship happens in community. There's a voice that comes out and invite and does the invitation. Then we see Jesus sitting on the throne. Did you notice the description of Jesus? He's so magnificent and so beautiful, and what's come, the glory that's coming off of him is shining in such a way that the author of this book, John, he can only describe it by comparing it to jewels and gems and shining. That's how magnificent Jesus is sitting on his throne in heaven. But there's the voice that comes out, and then there's Jesus talking. And also in this chapter, we find 24 elders that are around the throne, right? And then we find the four living beings, the ones with all the eyes all over the place. They're there worshiping too. In this passage, we see that, yes, we can worship all alone, all by ourselves. But something happens when we come together as a group on a Sunday morning or or in an evening or in a small group or however that might happen. Something different happens when we worship within the context of community. It's a biblical pattern. There's a reason why we do it, why we come together on Sunday morning and sing songs. The first hymn that was recorded, I found, was written in A.D. 680. That's a really long time ago. Or 680 A.D., I guess is the better way to say that. People have been, people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, people who, who love Jesus, who have given their hearts to Jesus, have come together in the context of worship for a long, long time. It was happening in the Bible, too, but hymns, have been, hymns were written that long ago. Worship must matter in community. It must be important that we come together and sing these songs together, not just all by ourselves. You know, some people say, I do church all by myself. That would be hard. I don't like myself that much, I don't think, to just sit and do church all by myself every week. I get bored of myself. So there's a reason why we come together. Would you look with me for just a moment at Acts chapter 16? This is one of my favorite worship experiences in the Bible. I'm not sure if it's going to be up there or not, but I'll read it to you. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 25, we're going to see why worship within community matters. 
why it matters that we do it together. The significance and the power and the strength of not just doing it by ourselves. Acts chapter 16, 25 says, Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. And suddenly, in verse 26, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Every prisoner. The jailer, poor guy, woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed that all the prisoners had escaped. So he drew out his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for somebody to turn the lights on and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. The reason why worship, heavenly worship, matters in community is because it's not just about you. Your worship isn't just meant for you to do it all by yourself, all alone. There's something that happens when we come together and we do it together. And I join my voice and you join your voice. And if you can't sing, it doesn't matter because the person next to you sounds really good or the people on the stage will cover how terrible you sound. My poor mom, she loved Jesus so much. She loved him a lot. But my mom couldn't sing. Like, really couldn't sing. Like, so she would kind of mouth the words and let a little tiny bit come out. But I don't know if I ever heard my mom sing. Most of my, I don't think I did because she was like, I cannot sing. And so, but guess what? You come, you're together, you're in this community, you're worshiping together as a group, and your voice, good or not, doesn't matter a whole lot because what you have and what you bring joins with everybody else in the room and it creates something beautiful. Even in heaven, they're not worshiping all by themselves. Even in heaven, the perfect place where there's no pain and no tears and no sorrow and everything is perfect and right and exactly the way it should be. Even in heaven, worship happens within the context of community. Even crazy beasts with eyes all over them worship in heaven. Anybody can worship. If, you know, if you can worship when you're covered with eyes inside and out, it probably doesn't matter if your voice is that great. That's not the point, right? The point is that you're bringing yourself within the context of community. And you get to worship him together. We see that there are byproducts in Acts chapter 16. We see what happens when we worship together. Did you see it? Did you hear it? Paul and Silas are the ones worshiping, right? But when the chains fall off, do only Paul and Silas's chains fall off? No. Paul and Silas are worshiping. It doesn't say that everybody in the prison was worshiping. It doesn't say that every prisoner was worshiping the Lord and praying. It says Paul and Silas were. This is, I think this is so big. I love this. I love that God showed us this in his word. Because Paul and Silas are worshiping and everybody around them gets freed from their chains. Every prisoner gets set free in that jail. Not just the two who are singing. You don't know this morning if your worship and what you bring to this community is going to, with your voice raised and with all that you have and all that you are, break the chains off of the person that's sitting next to you. That's why you matter in this room this morning. 
Your voice, your worship, what you have to bring is vital, not just for you, but for the person sitting next to you. And then the passage, the text in Acts 16, goes on to tell us that then what does the jailer say? The guy, he, in one second, the jailer's about to slit his own throat. Then they say, it's okay, buddy, relax, we're still here, we didn't take off. The next thing he says, okay, tell me how to get what you have. How can I be saved? I need whatever, whatever this is that you've got that when you sing and you worship, chains fall off, people are set free. I need some of that. Tell me how to get it. But it doesn't even just stop with the jailer. His whole household hears about the goodness of God, hears about the salvation of Jesus Christ. You don't know this morning, church, if when you come and you worship in community and you bring yourself to the, to the place of worship, that heavenly worship like we see in Revelation chapter 4, you don't know if your worship joined with everyone else's is going to cause someone to come to know Jesus. It's a biblical pattern. We see it here. And not just the person sitting next to you to have a greater revelation of Jesus or to want some of what you have, but their whole household. We worship within the context of community. Worship happens in community. I heard a story one time about a man who had a dream, and he said that in this dream he could see heaven. Now, it's just a dream, so don't, it's not perfect theology. It's just a dream. In this, in this dream, the man could see heaven, and he could see God sitting on his throne, and he said God was kind of relaxed looking, kind of leaned back in his chair, kind of smiling, just looking around. And the man could see that what God was looking at was he was looking at people, individuals, and they were worshiping or praying, and it was making God smile. He was kind of enjoying what people were doing, enjoying the people that he loved. But he said that he saw God, and all of a sudden God kind of like startled and turned his head and looked over. And not only did God turn and look over and stop his just enjoyment of everyone, but God, in this man's dream, God got up off of his throne, and he walked over to a spot, and he looked down at something. And what was happening in this spot had God's complete attention in that moment. And the man said that it was like in his dream he kind of zoomed in and he saw. And what was happening in that place was a community of believers worshiping together. When we come together and we worship together, who knows if we're not making God get up off his throne to look down at us with pleasure. It matters. It's just a dream. It's just an idea. But when we come together in community... It matters. I wonder this morning if you would make the choice to be a part of this worship community, that you would recognize the power of your voice joined with all of our voices to make a difference for the person sitting next to us and us ourselves, and who knows if someone's whole household might be saved because of what we do when we worship. We see in Revelation chapter 4 that worship is with a sacrifice. Pastor Dan already alluded to this this morning, but if you look at verses 8 and 10 in Revelation chapter 4, it says two things there. It says that this worship is happening day and night, and it says that they fall down on their faces. I don't know if you've ever done something day and night. I've never had to do anything like 24 hours straight, but it doesn't sound fun to me. I know some people like, I have friends who are like into like staying up all night to pray, and I'm like, I love to pray, but there's nothing in me that wants to be praying at four in the morning. Like, I just, all night long stuff is not enjoyable to me. I like to sleep a little bit. But the worship in heaven is going on day and night. Night and day, it never stops. There's a sacrifice involved when we worship. John Calvin said, just as the lifting up of hands is a symbol of confidence and longing, 
So in order to show our humility, we fall down on our knees. There's something of a sacrifice when we come to worship. It takes something out of us to give that. If we're really worshiping, and listen, I don't want you to hear me say this morning that you have to do something for it to be your sacrifice. There's no rules about this. You don't have to lift your hands. You don't have to get excited. You don't have to jump up and down. There's no pattern about, because your sacrifice and my sacrifice look very different. Even in this passage, some are falling down, some are doing it day and night. There's different ways that your sacrifice will come out when we come together as a group on Sunday morning and we do this in community, when we accept the invitation to worship. There's a sacrifice, but yours looks different than mine. In Psalm 56, verses 11 and 12, King David, in this passage, has just been captured by the Philistines. He's a prisoner. He's not getting to rule as the king in this moment. He's, he's being held against his will. But this is what he says. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? He's a prisoner. He's a prisoner of the Philistines. I don't know if you remember, but the Philistines were giants. They were not good people. They hated the Israelites. And King David is their prisoner at this moment, and he says, I trust in God, why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? I will fulfill my vows to you, O God, and I will offer a sacrifice of thanks for your help. The thing about this is that we see King David, and he's thanking God and worshiping God and praising God before the good things happen. It is really easy sometimes to come and say, God, you're so good. I just, somebody just gave me a million dollars. It must have been you. God, you're so good. Everything in my life is really, really perfect right now. But it's a much different thing when everything is a mess and everything is falling apart and you choose to come and tell God how good he is anyway in that moment. It's a very different thing. There's a sacrifice involved in worship. David's a prisoner, but he's proclaiming that he knows who God is. This is exactly what Pastor Dan said this morning. He's standing up and proclaiming, I know who God is regardless of what it looks like right now. I know who God is in spite of my circumstances. Sometimes I think the sacrifice is as simple as this. The sacrifice of praise. We hear that phrase. It's a very churchy thing to say. We used to sing a chorus. We bring the sacrifice of praise. We used to sing that when I was a little girl over and over and over. Sometimes I think the sacrifice is as simple as coming, being here, being in the community of believers, accepting the invitation, and just putting aside everything else that's going on in your life at that moment. I think sometimes the sacrifice of worship looks like, I'm not going to think about the groceries I need to buy after church today. I'm not going to think about that I don't have any groceries or that I don't have any money to buy groceries or that I'm too tired to go buy groceries. I'm not going to think about how terrible my kids have behaved today. I'm not going to think about that I'm totally annoyed with my spouse. I'm not going to think about that somebody has cancer. I'm not going to think about that the world is falling apart. I'm not going to think about wars and rumors of wars or hurricanes or any of those things in this moment. For this piece of time, at this set of point of time in this week, I'm going to say, God, everything else gets put away. My sacrifice this morning looks as simple as this. You're the only thing that matters in this moment. Nothing else is as important as you. Not my problems, not my frustrations, not my hurts and pains, not my disappointments. None of it matters right now. I'm just going to come and set aside all that I have, all that I am, everything that's in me, and I'm going to give it to you for these next few minutes. I'm going to tell my brain it doesn't get to think about what I want to eat for lunch. I'm going to set aside how ticked off I am 
at something somebody did to me and wanting you to give me justice, Lord. All of it gets put away. Nothing else matters. For these few moments at this set time, whether it's Sunday or whenever it might be, but when we accept the invitation and we come together as a community of believers and we bring a sacrifice of, I'm giving you everything that I have right now. All my attention, all my devotion, all my affection. It's all yours right now in this moment, Jesus. Nothing's going to distract me. In verse 10 of Revelation chapter 4, this is such a beautiful picture. Verse 10 says, The 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne and the one who lives forever and ever. And then it says this, And they lay their crowns before the throne. I've heard it preached a lot of times in my life that, you know that thing that you really love? You know that favorite thing? Whatever that is, that thing you're best at, God's going to make you lay that down at the altar. You're going to have to give it to him and leave it there. And you're never going to get to be an actor if you want to be an actor. Or if you love to sing, God's going to make you give that up to him. You're going to have to lay that crown before him. Maybe that's true. But what I think happens when we lay down our crowns is we take the thing that's the best of who we are. The thing that maybe makes us who we are. The thing that maybe we've hung our hat on. That this, I know how to do this. I'm a great businessman. I'm an amazing mom. I'm a teacher, and I can teach circles around the rest of the people in my grade. I'm a student, and I'm the smartest algebra student in my class. Whatever it might be, I'm the best musician anybody's ever heard. I'm more beautiful than everybody else. That's not what I say, but some people might think that. I'm stronger. I'm a better mechanic. I think our crowns are the thing that make that we think define us, that we think make us what we are, the thing that we're proud of. And we're not giving it away to God to say, God, you know, here, take this, and you can have it, God, and, and we do it kind of begrudgingly. I think we take it as an indication of this is the best of me, and I lay this at your feet to indicate that the best of me is nowhere near as worthy as you are. The best I have to give, all that I am, all that I've ever done, whatever the, the most important thing in my life, the thing I've given my whole life to, to be successful at or to conquer, I take it off. I lay this crown down at your feet, Lord. Not because I think you're going to take it away from me, God, but because you are so worthy, I put this at your feet to indicate to me and everybody around me that nothing I could ever do is as worthy of praise as you are. We don't have to be afraid to lay our crowns down at the feet of Jesus. We get to. We get to indicate his worth by sacrificing and saying, the best of me, God, doesn't come anywhere near to as good as you are. I heard a man named Brian Johnson once say that when we worship here on earth, there's a significant and really important difference in the worship that's taking place in heaven. As he said, when we worship here on earth, we're worshiping through our pain. Our worship is colored by our disappointments and our hurts. Our worship is tainted a little bit in a way or or influenced by what we're going through in that moment. In heaven, there's there's nothing marring the worship. There's nothing between us and God. So when we get to heaven, we can't give God the same worship we can give him here on earth. We can give him a sacrifice of worship here on earth. 
that we sacrifice when we're in pain, when we don't feel like it, when we're frustrated, when we're not sure he's real, when we've been asking him to come through for us on something and we're not seeing it happen yet, when we're devastated, when we're disappointed, when we're frustrated, when we're broke, when we're, we're in pain, when we bring worship to God here on earth, all those things are a part of it. And that's something we can give him today here on earth that we'll never get to give him in heaven. Because in heaven it's all fixed. It's all perfect. It's all right. And so when you bring your sacrifice of worship to God here on earth, you're giving him something that in eternity you won't get to give him anymore. Can you imagine that? What our worship costs us here on earth. It costs us laying down the best that we are to say he's bigger, he's better, he's greater, he's best. And it costs us something to go through the pain, through the hurt, through the disappointment, frustration, confusion, bewilderment and say, yeah, but you're still God. And I'm going to worship you this morning. One of the most poignant moments of my entire life, and I've shared this a little bit before, was that the Sunday after we buried my mom, my mom died of glioblastoma brain tumor. And it's the kind Ted Kennedy had. I think John McCain has it now too. And it's the kind that when you get it, if you have a good cancer doctor, they say, Find out the things that they want to do because there will be a pocket of time where they'll feel a little better. But it's going to come back and you're not going to beat it. But I love Jesus and I believe he's a healer. I believe Jesus is bigger. The name of Jesus is bigger than glioblastoma cancer. And so I, with everything that I had and all that was in me, contended with God for my mom's healing. I cried out to him, not day and night, I'm not that good, but a lot. I asked him to heal my mom. I asked him to heal her up until the moment I saw her and knew she was ready to go. And I can tell you that I had worshipped God. I got saved when I was four. I had worshipped God my whole life, most of my life. You know, you're a teen, when I was a teenager, I was kind of like, eh, I love Jesus, but we'll see. <laughs> you know, in church, but eh, we'll see what happens. But I can tell you that the Sunday that I came back from burying my mom and when the worship team started to sing a song called Healer that says words that go, I believe you're my healer. I believe you're all that I need. You're more than enough for me. I can tell you that the worship in that moment, having just buried my mom after contending for her healing and not seeing what I wanted to see, that worship cost me something different than the worship I had given before that pain. When you bring that sacrifice, when you give God your worship in community and you accept the invitation and you come and you say, this is my sacrifice. Whether your sacrifice today is just I'm not going to think about the grocery list, Jesus. I'm only going to think about you. Or whether your sacrifice this morning is I just buried my mom, but I'm still going to say out of my mouth that you're the healer. I'm still going to say I have the victory when I don't feel victorious. Whatever your sacrifice is, worship happens with a sacrifice. I wonder this morning, church, if we'll be willing to give God our sacrifice in worship, even no matter what it takes. Are you going to thank him when you're still in a prison? Will you lay down the best of who you are at his feet to show him how worthy he is? I wonder if right smack dab in the middle of your pain or your anger or your hopelessness or desperation, you'll make a commitment to worship him. I wonder if you'll put everything else aside. Grocery lists, naughty kids, frustrating spouses and all, and worship him. This is my last point this morning. I believe that in Revelation chapter 4 we see a picture that 
The worship in heaven is happening on purpose. It's happening on purpose. It's not just, oh, let's see if songs come out today. I believe it's, it's happening on purpose. One of the most common questions in the human life is, what on earth am I here for? Does my life matter? Do I have any significance? Is anything I've ever done worthwhile? Is it any good? And here, I'm here to tell you this morning that that question, what is your purpose, what on earth are you here for, it's answered here in Revelation chapter 4. You were created to worship. You don't know anything else. The worship team is coming because I asked them to, because we're going to worship in a second, so it's cool. If you don't know anything else about what your life is here for, why it matters, why it's important, any of that, you can know this. You were created to worship. When you feel like you're not sure if anything in your life is worth anything, you know, we all have these moments where we're like, I've done all this for this long, and here I am, and none of it matters. You know, to be very, very, very honest, we gave our lives to a church for 14 years, and then they looked at us and told us they didn't need us anymore. There are moments in life where you wonder if what you've given, what you've done, what you've given, all that you have and all that you are for matters at all. Guess what? If when you worship, you're doing exactly what you're here for. You're doing exactly what you were meant to do. You're doing something on purpose that's happening in heaven because it's your purpose to do it. We exist in verse chapter 11 of Revelation chapter 4. It says, you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. God made us because he wanted to. And we get to worship him and give him glory because it's what we were created to do. In Psalm 119, chapter 164, 165, David says, I'll praise you seven times a day because your regulations are just. Listen, David praising seven times a day means he had made a decision that he's going to do this thing on purpose. He must have known something, that it's what he was made to do. And he said, I don't just know that I'm made to do this, that I was created for his glory, to bring him glory, and he made me because he was pleased with me. He liked what he made. I'm going to make a decision inside of me that I'm going to accept this invitation, and I'm going to come together in community, and I'm going to bring my sacrifice, and I'm going to do all of that on purpose because it's what I was made to do. God created me for his glory. I was made to be, bring him glory. A.W. Tozer says, True worship that is pleasing to God creates within the human heart a spirit of expectation and insatiable longing. I have something really interesting to tell you this morning. Now, I function sort of in the role of a pastor, and so this is a dangerous thing to say because we're always needing help. But I really believe that if all you ever contributed to this church was that you came in here on purpose every Sunday morning, you accepted the invitation within the context of community and you offered your sacrifice and you did it on purpose and you said, I'm coming in this morning with an expectation that God's going to do something and a longing in my heart for his presence. And that was all you ever did, but you brought that and that alone that you could change everything. Sometimes we're looking for a lot of extra stuff to do, to matter, to seem important. Yet the Word of God shows us that worship on purpose, because it's what we were created to do, was what we were made for, 
is perhaps one of the most important things we could ever give. The great and wise theologian from the state of Tennessee, Dolly Parton, once said, Find out who you are and do it on purpose. Here you go this morning, church. You're created for his glory. He was pleased when he looked at you when he made you. You were made to worship him. I wonder if you'll decide this morning to fulfill your purpose on this earth today and worship. You were created to do it. You were created to worship. Do it on purpose. Make a decision. I'm coming in this morning with expectation and with longing in my heart, like A.W. Tozier said. I want God's presence. I want, to, I want that little taste of heaven. I want to peel back the layers of heaven or look in a porthole and I want to see a little bit of what's going on there. And one of the ways I get to do that is I worship. I accept the invitation. I don't know what it's always going to look like, but I go anyway. And not only that, but I come and I believe that I matter within the context of community, that my worship matters. And I don't know whose chains are going to break off because I was here today and I gave God all that I had. And guess what? When it hurts, I'm going to worship. When it's hard, I'm going to worship. When my mom, I just buried my mom and I've contended for her healing, I'm going to call you the healer anyway. And it's going to cost me something. And not only that, Lord, but I'm going to come and I'm going to do this on purpose because it is my purpose. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by this message. For more information about Life Tree, please check us out online at lifetreecc.com.